Hello and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. This is a really great episode that we have for you today. It's going to be talking about a subject that some consider to be controversial, but some also see this as an opportunity for all of us to learn even deeper truths about a fundamental doctrine of the gospel, and that is the priesthood. Our guest today wrote a book on women, power, and priesthood. Her name is Wendy Ulrich, and she's a scholar and a, just a wonderful mind, and she's written this wonderful book that was published by Deseret Book that I think not only helps people understand the priesthood generally on a greater level, but also the role that women play and the authority that women do have to operate in the priesthood. So this is a great episode for that sister who's preparing to go on a mission, or any other missionary for that matter, as priesthood is the power in missionary work. Here now is my interview with author Wendy Ulrich. Wendy Ulrich is a psychologist, educator, and writer with a passionate quest, helping people create meaning-rich lives, healthy relationships, and empowering trust in God. She founded 16 Stones Center for Growth at 16stones.net. Wendy obtained a Ph.D. in education and psychology from the University of Michigan, an MBA from UCLA. Wendy has served as an advisor on missionary mental health for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Her latest book is what we're primarily here to talk about, and that's the book entitled Live Up to Our Privileges, Women, Power, and Priesthood. Thank you very much for coming in. I'm so delighted to be here, Nick. Did Thanks I nail that or me. did yes, I? Is that all right? Got it. That's great. Okay. So I um, this is a new book from Deseret Book, and Let's just go ahead and get right out and say it is somewhat based on a controversial topic. Absolutely. Um, something that um, has come up at different times in our church history, but mostly recent, right? I would say that some in the last 10 years, this women in the priesthood thing has come up. Well, I've been around a little longer than you have, so I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen a little more of that history. But yes, it has been an issue um, in recent years in particular, I think, as women in general in society are used to being treated with a lot of equality and sameness, and we um, strive for that in the church as well in many in many ways. But yeah. this is one place where there's some differences that can grate on people sometimes. Well, and the word sameness is different than equality yes. in some people's use of those words. And so there, there are issues that people have had, and we will talk about that. But certainly there are people that you could argue have not had an issue with this. Absolutely. And some have had a different experience with it. And I'm curious what your experience has been that has kind of informed why some people maybe have issue with it and others don't. Have you found anything for that? Well, one of my big fears in writing this book, to be perfectly honest, was that for those who don't have an issue with it, I might end up suggesting just a bunch more stuff for them to do and to think about and to worry about. <laughs> okay. And for those who do have an issue with it, what I'm suggesting here might sound like pablum, you know, like it's too little too late and really doesn't cut the cut the mustard. So I'm I'm trying to find some place <laughs> to yeah. be helpful without um prescribing necessarily my solution. I'm I'm hoping to open some doors in how we think about priesthood 
and how we think about women and the priesthood that I hope a lot of other people will walk through. Um, but I think some of it is generational. I think some of it is is kind of personal history, what our own personal ambitions or experience or trauma or struggles might have been uh, that influence the way we see the world and um, and the way we see gender, the way we see these issues. So I have a daughter who is a sociologist of, of family and gender, and um, she has a very different take on some of these things, for example, than my daughter-in-law who is, um, who, who's, whose life revolves around raising five children. They, they are both very intelligent, sensitive, interesting women who, who have strong, powerful lives, but they see the world perhaps from a little different angle based on their current choices and circumstances, um, things they've been exposed to, um, and and just the generations that they live in compared to me, for example. So. Yeah. This is a subject that I, I want, before the men turn off on the episode, thinking that this doesn't apply to them, one of the things that I found as I read through the book was that this is good for anybody because men don't really know the priesthood that well either. Well, what was interesting to me in writing it was I actually started out with the idea in mind of writing to both, because I think men are also looking for the answer to the question, how can I have more power in the priesthood, mm -hmm. um, which is the issue I wanted to address for women. How do we have power in the priesthood? But as I thought about it, I, I realized men are being counseled constantly um, to, to step up to their privileges. Um, and I thought it was quite fascinating that in priesthood meetings that I was reading through on the subject of power in the priesthood, men were constantly being sort of admonished, you know, you can do more. You can, yeah. you can have um, more power in this, in this thing that you're doing than, than you currently do. It's not enough just to have authority. You need to have priesthood power. And that was really the question I was looking at for women. I, I thought it was pretty clear that women do have priesthood authority, but how do we have power in that with that authority? So I actually started looking at both and then kind of became clear to me pretty quickly that I was going to have to narrow my audience a little <laughs> bit or I was going to go crazy. So Yeah, this is definitely um, written towards women more. It is. But I don't. I, I want to say I found that there was merit in it. And as you're a, as not a the man. first man who's told me that. Um, I've <laughs> well, had a number of men who have read this book say this has uh, really enlarged my understanding, not only of what women might be struggling with or what women might do, but what I'm struggling with as a man and what I might do to enlarge my understanding of the power that's available to me. Well, and we have wives. Absolutely. And I have and five daughters, daughters and, and so this is and this is great. Society leaders and all right. kinds of things, yeah. And if you're a bishop that needs right. to minister to a woman, uh, these these are these. This is very much a part of our our experience as Latter Day Saints. And so I I think it's important before we go too much further to maybe define what we mean by priesthood, authority, and power, because sometimes. Those are all mashed up together, and we, we use them in different ways. Yeah, and as I started trying to look at that exact question to clarify my own thinking about it, I you know I went to the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia, what is oh, priesthood. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just definitionally, you know, priesthood is just sort of the, the function of a priest. Well, what's a priest? And a priest is someone who performs 
the, the liturgy, the sacred rituals of a religion. And so that's how commonly priesthood is understood, is a, a priest is the person who performs those, those uh, we would call them ordinances, but others might call them rituals or rites or whatever. That's a fairly narrow definition in terms of how Latter-day Saints think about right. priesthood. And, um, and you can understand why it would be confusing to people who are coming with that definition to our religion, saying, you know, why can't women do this as well as men can? The easy answer to that question is women do do that. Right, they, they already do, are. They do function as priests in the temple. And I don't know any other way to describe it than that. When women go to the temple to be endowed, what are they being endowed with? They are being endowed with priesthood power and right. authority and um, and the authority to perform those ordinances on behalf of others. I learned that. Well, I had an interesting experience in Israel when I was visiting the Temple Institute there, which is a place that houses a bunch of things that have been prepared by very Orthodox Jews who are preparing for the return of the Temple. Oh, okay. And so they are creating priesthood clothing, and priest, and and they are creating. Um, some of the, the artifacts that would exist in the temple in anticipation that that temple will one day be restored. There was a picture in there of uh, how the ancient temple would have worked, where people who were born into the tribe, the correct tribe, the correct family, and it was only one, one tribe, the Levites, and uh, only certain people among the Levites could be priests, um, and they would come to the temple. They they had to be born into the right tribe to be have any priesthood right at all. Mm -hmm. And then when they would come to the temple at the right age, they would be sort of vested in that priesthood. They would be washed. They would be anointed. They would have certain clothing put on them that would give them the authority to act in the priesthood to which they had been born, but which they had not yet been sort of authorized to use in a particular way. Okay. Anyway, this picture has people coming in in street clothes, uh, ancient world street clothes, but um, they come in preparing for their service in the temple, and there's a big stairwell, and at the top of the staircase, uh, there are shelves that are visible with packets of white clothing on those shelves, and a priest is bringing those packets down the stairs, handing them to these people who are coming in to perform these ordinances or rites in the, in the temple for them to change into. So they will be, in, this, in a sense, uh, going through an experience that was very familiar to me as someone who attends the temple. Sure. And it reminded me that when I go to the temple as a woman, I am being endowed with rights in the priesthood. And when I return to the, to the temple, Elder Ballard says all who participate in the ordinances of the temple are, uh, all who attend the temple are, are performing ordinances, basically, yeah. for the dead. So it's not just the worker who's doing those ordinances. I am in a priestly function as I go through any of the ordinances of the temple on behalf of someone else. My presence is needed there in a priestly role to offer those ordinances to the dead. So I began to think about the ways that priesthood is bigger than just the ways that it functions in the meeting house it functions also in the home and in the temple in ways that I needed to think about more. 
So priesthood then is um, is certainly involved with performing those ordinances, but it's even bigger than that. Other prophets have talked about priesthood, and Elder Renlin talks about it in the book that he and his wife recently published yeah. as being the very power of God. We think of it as not just something a human does to try to get close to God or to bring people into connection with God, but we think of priesthood as the power of God to, to do create, his work. to do His work yeah. in the world, to create, to redeem, to resurrect, to govern the entire universe. And he he delegates a portion of that priesthood power to human beings to to do God's work in the in the church. So there are lots of ways to think about priesthood. And um, I think it's important that we distinguish priesthood office and keys from priesthood authority and power. Men and women both have priesthood authority and priesthood power offered to them. Women get that authority by by delegation from someone who holds the keys, but so do men. Uh, men don't operate in the priesthood without being delegated certain um, privileges that, that come with that authority yeah. from someone who holds those keys. So we can be given keys through an office that we hold, but we can also be given keys through a calling, through an assignment, through a recommend that allows you access to the temple, for example. All of those are ways that priesthood authority can be given to a, to a person, man or woman, yeah. to do God's work in the world. This feels like a very big shift from the way people have talked about priesthood. I think it is. I think we have seen that shift, especially in recent years. It That idea has woven through um, many talks that have been given previously in previous generations. But um, as Elder Oaks and Elder Ballard and President Nelson and others have sort of pulled out some of those concepts and elaborated on them in conference talks in, in just recent years, I think we are beginning to shift our understanding of what priesthood authority entails. And I like that you say that it shifts our understanding, not that the thing itself has changed. I think that's right. But that our understanding of it, but our understanding of it does lead us to more power. More yes. living up to our privileges. Absolutely. Um, there's actually a quote that I wanted to give um, that you have in the book. It's a quote from Joseph Smith, and I wanted to find it here real quick. Okay. So this is about living up to our privileges, and I want to yeah. read the quote. No, you can't read it till I give you the preface on this one because oh, this is there's just, a preface. Great, go it, for this it. This is this was really a key for me in in developing my understanding of this book because, as I say, I went back looking for information on priesthood power. That was kind of my question, and I began to see again and again that. Um, Elder Packer, but many people were, would sort of say to the brethren of the priesthood, you're not living up to your privileges. Right. You know, if you'd live up to your privileges, you could have more power than you do. And that phrase began to ring in my head because it was repeated so many times. And that's when I remembered the first time that I had heard that kind of language used. And I assume that's the quote from Joseph Smith you're it about is. to read. It is. He's speaking to the Newly Organized Relief Society. That's yeah, the one, right? that's the one. Okay, so these are the words that he said. It is natural for females to have feelings of charity. You are now placed in a situation where you can act according to those sympathies which God has planted in your bosoms. If you live up to these principles, how great and glorious. If you live up to your privileges, angels cannot be restrained from being your associates. Females, if they are pure and innocent, 
can come into the presence of God. Now, to me, that's there's a lot of temple language in that. There's a lot of temple language in that. Tons and, of it. And there's also very specific priesthood promises in those blessings. Yes. Because the keys of the Aaronic priesthood open the exactly. doors for the ministering of angels. The keys of the Melchizedek priesthood open the doors to enter into the presence of God. Those are the exact two things that Joseph Smith promised the women. So he is promising them priesthood oriented blessings as he invites them to live up to their privileges. So we mentioned the word sameness before. So it's fair to say that men and women both hold the same priesthood, but men hold priesthood office. Yes. That is the distinction. And that is that portion that is delegated to them. Whereas the women have a different portion delegated to them through the Relief Society. Is that and, and accurate? Through their, through their callings, whatever they may be. Yeah, whatever. In all the work of, of the church. So yeah. when a, a, a young woman is called on a mission, she's given, President Oaks made clear, priesthood authority to do the, to do priesthood work. Right. Um, a work that is associated with the office of elder, but it is not certainly limited to the office of elder. So there are certain responsibilities that go with those offices that are given to men. But what's curious to me is that as I I looked at every office of the priesthood, I could not only see a larger picture of what is God's work in the world and how is it embodied in those offices, but also what is God's work in the world and how is it embodied in me as a woman? What, how do I participate in that work? How is that work delineated by the offices? but open to every member of the church to do and to participate in, in significant ways. And what particularly stunned me was that in every one of those offices, I could not only see ways that women do that work, but ways that that work draws on the work that women naturally do in life and in in families and in the world. Period. Yeah. Things like feeding people, you know, and um, and and giving birth, and um, we draw on the experiences of women, not just the experiences of men. So men are being taught to do things women do already, as well as women <laughs> being for the taught. Birth part, but yeah. yeah. As well as well, you're you know in a different way. That's right? right. In a different way, you are. Participating when you when you baptize someone in in the in a rebirth that draws on the experience of being born in the first place. Um, when I'm past the sacrament, I'm trying to understand what it is to what it means to be fed, and uh, I'm drawing on my experience of being fed at my mother's breast, at being fed in my mother's home, uh, as well as the ways that God feeds people spiritually throughout the the history of mankind. God has been in the business of feeding people. Yeah. It's not just temporal work. It's necessary work if we're going to develop spiritually as well. So that bridges very nicely to part two of your book, Okay, which I wanted to go through this, not necessarily in specificity because that'll take forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have the time for that. Um, and plus people should buy the book. But you have structured this book where each, let's call it a chapter, let's, yeah. each chapter is on a different office of the Melchizedek priesthood. And the Aaronic priesthood. And the Aaronic priesthood. Right. But your goal is not to talk about them with respect to the men's role in them, but rather the women's role in them. Yeah, and to some extent the role of both of them. Sure. Um, but yes. Because you have to define the one to see right. how the other complements or... Right. 
whatever with it. Right. And I like your word compliment uh, in a in a talk that one of the early uh, prophets gave. He talked about women's role being a compliment to the priesthood. And so I looked up the word compliment, and it 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 talks about things like bringing something to completion or fruition. Um, and I I think that those are accurate understandings uh, that we. We are both needed. It, it, you can't you, it, the the work that women do um, in the priesthood, which I think is is huge. I, I think once a woman, particularly, has been endowed and consecrated her life to the Lord, and she has been um, vested with with that priesthood power, she is acting in a priestly role in virtually everything she does uh, for the rest of her life. Yeah, potentially. Well, and, and I think that's the intent of consecration, right? is that we are doing God's work as right. much as we possibly can. Exactly. Um, but there's this sense, too, with, um, I think it was Joseph Smith again, who, when he established the Relief Society, said that the priesthood was never fully restored until the Relief Society was part of it and that's the right. work of the women was part of it. So, that's right. And so, he said he wanted to make them a kingdom of priests. Yeah, which is uh, a line that has been quoted on uh, the, the essay in in on L, the Church of Jesus Christ dot org um, uh, under gospel topics on women and priesthood. Yeah. Um, they they quote that statement of his. Yeah. So this book is something that people can go through step by step. Mm-hmm. I'll say office by office. Office by office. And kind of digest their own meanings from yes. what they take out of that. And I hope they'll take it much further than I have, you know, <laughs> than I have. There's much more to be done, I, I'm sure. Well, I I wanted to give you a situation. There was something that in, it was interesting. I got a, a message on Facebook this morning Okay. from a man that served in my mission with me. Uh-huh. And he told me, he said, I want you to know my daughter listens to your podcast. I didn't know that. But she's in her first week at the MTC, and she wrote me a message that said that she had been listening to my podcast and that it helped her prepare to go on a mission. And I thought, this is really cool to see this connection of of people preparing to go on a mission, but particularly a sister missionary, Sister Butler, hi, uh, (laughs) if you're listening. What would you tell to the Sister Butler's? that are either just now preparing to go or who are in the MTC, something from your book that's specific to missionaries as they go through and do their priesthood work. I served a mission as a young sister missionary oh, where? Um, in France and Belgium. Very good. And uh, and I still remember the little white handbook that I had <laughs> specifically yes. saying that I had authority from the church to not only preach the gospel, but to administer all the ordinances. And I thought that was pretty cool, erroneous, but <laughs> but that's <laughs> apparently, issue, uh, apparently how unusual it was at some level for sister missionaries that, that nobody had caught that they had were being authorized by this little white book to do something they weren't actually authorized to do. Um, my grandmother was actually the first sister missionary in the mission she served in with uh, Melvin J. Ballard being wow. her mission president. My mother served a mission. I have served a mission. My two daughters have served missions. So I have a lot, uh, and my daughter-in-law. And so I have a lot of interest in this legacy that uh, I hope will be passed to future generations as well. Um, It can be rough to be a sister missionary. I think with more sister missionaries serving in the field right now, the culture of missionary work is changing a little bit. 
when I was a missionary, that was less the case. And I often felt Me like too. I was surrounded by a lot of testosterone that really <laughs> affected the culture of, of how missionary work was done and what was expected and how things went and what men thought of, of women in the mission field and all of those kinds of things. I think a lot of that is softening as we um, see more missionaries uh, of both uh, both men and women serving together and serving in leadership roles together and all of those kinds of things. But I think what I would say to the sister missionaries above anything is uh, don't take for granted. You have absolutely been authorized by a prophet of God to teach the gospel and to prepare people for um, for baptism. And everything that you do there can be accompanied by great spiritual power. Um, they have priesthood authority, and they are entitled to priesthood power in the work that they do. And um, that's that's a really significant thing, I think, in the life of a sister missionary. Yeah. Uh, to recognize that it, you know, this is this is not uh, the men's game. This is important <laughs> yeah. work, and they have a unique role, I think, many times to bring to that work perspectives that they have that will be important to the women, especially that they are in contact with. But I think many times women, sister missionaries, have a, a different perspective on life in general that can be very important uh, for for the people that they are talking to. So so they would pay attention to which section the most in this? Would well, they go to the elder section? Um, there is certainly information in the section about being an elder okay. because that's primarily that's primarily the group that is entrusted with missionary work. But um, there really isn't any Not just part. One. Yeah, there really isn't just one part. The, the, the role of of every office in the priesthood is relevant to the lives of women and and the lives of women missionaries. So this they are teachers. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are not so much serving in a priestly role in terms of temple ordinances while they are serving, but they have gone to the temple and they have been vested with priest with a priestly role, and they are fulfilling that role as they um, as they take the gospel to people. Um, in the world, a priest's primary role may be performing rites and and things like that, but priesthood really only becomes important important for a lot of churches if they have a lot of emphasis on rituals. Right. So in other faiths where that's not a big part of what they do, they don't really call people priests. They call them pastors or um, ministers or those kinds of, uh, of that kind of language would be used. Right. And that's true in our faith as well. It, you know, as we were saying, performing those rituals is not the only thing that a priest does. Right. Um, and and women too are performing ministerial kinds of roles and pastoral roles, and so all of the work of the priesthood is relevant to a sister missionary as she performs a priesthood function for the Lord. So even that young woman who's been assigned to minister with maybe her mom or not right. her mom, but right. that's been assigned to minister. Yeah. She's doing priesthood work. I would say so, yes. Um, it, in fact, it, it's interesting to me. We talk about 
well, at least I'm hearing the language. I don't know if this is widespread in, in priest quorum but, or in elders <laughs> quorum, but um, I'm hearing the language that the Relief Society was organized after the pattern of the priesthood. We yes, talk about that quite that's a true. Bit. I think the Young Women's Organization is also organized after the pattern of the priesthood and is an equivalent to the Young Men's Organization of the Aaronic Priesthood with many of the same um, responsibilities and privileges that go with with that. So even, yes, an unendowed woman performing in, you know, her role as, a, as the Laurel's class president or uh, whatever, if she has been set apart to that assignment, she has been given a presiding role in that, in that class or in that group, she has the right, she has priesthood authority and she has the right to priesthood, to priesthood strength and instruction and the, and the influence of the Holy Ghost in performing that role with power. Yeah. And I think Elder Oaks did refer to yes, he those did. specifically. So again, he said, if a woman, young or old, is given yeah. a priesthood assignment or calling or author, she is she is operating with priesthood authority to do yeah. priesthood work. And and I think perhaps part of why the dialogue has been what it has been and has maybe added confusion to the situation is that we see young men receiving the priesthood office as a very, it's a rite of passage. Sure. It's a defined moment. Right. Whereas with women, because they don't have the office right. given to them, it's not so clear. So we don't know how to define it as easily. Right. But when we kind of broaden our mind a little to understand priesthood as the power to do God's work under priesthood keys, right. that broadens it a lot. It broadens it a lot. And I, I hope that um, I hope that the young women, as well as the older women, will take a look at this idea and think about it more carefully, because um, they have been given enormous responsibilities. Priesthood in our church is really a responsibility, not just a privilege. Sure. And uh, in fact, I would say it is more a responsibility. And when we live up to the requirements of that responsibility, God offers us great blessings and promises, the ministering of angels, the, the return to the, his presence, the power of the Spirit to be with us. But, but absolutely, the, the responsibility aspect of it is what men are really tutored in. Priesthood is a duty. It is a set of responsibilities. Basically, what it's saying is, okay, young man, you're being given the office of a deacon. It's your responsibility to make sure everyone is served the sacrament. I pass the sacrament every week in church. Right. I don't have any restrictions on being able to touch the sacrament trays or pass it along to the person next to me. That's not the issue. The issue is that if I'm a deacon, I have the responsibility to make sure that that happens, that everyone is served. Right. But it is not trying to say, this is some really special, cool thing that I get to do that makes me really above above someone else or better than the young women who are who I'm who are passing the sacrament along the road just like you know or like that they're I touching am. it yeah puts something into the bread or right. water that makes it different exactly historically in fact um you know it was some of these things that are assigned to the priesthood at in our day to do have not always been assigned to the priesthood right. there's nothing in the scriptures for example that says that a deacon passes the sacrament all right. it says is they help the priests um, and they do whatever the you know is required with that there's nothing that says a teacher lays the sacrament table out for example in fact 
historically, sometimes that was done by women. Sometimes it was done by the custodian, whoever that happened to be. It wasn't seen the same way with the same degree of, of um, specificity that we see it now as to who should do some of those things. Well, and as you mentioned, even in ancient times, it was just the Levites. Yes, absolutely. So we, we, we've got a series on our podcast that we talk about doctrines the basic doctrines, and priesthood is one of those basic doctrines. Perfect. And so one of the things that we understand or we try to teach is that what makes the priesthood a doctrine is that it's always been, mm-hmm. it is pertinent to our salvation, mm-hmm. it's been taught since the beginning of time and continues to be taught by the living oracles that we have. Who has it and when they have it has changed multiple times throughout time. And what they do time. with it. Right. And, and what, what is expected of them as a result of that and how big of a commitment it is and what those offices specifically are. All of those things are right. subject to change. Well, they even changed a couple of years ago. Right. In a, in a way, which, you know, some people were, didn't see it that way, but it was the doctrine didn't change. How it kind of all the blocks fit together were just rearranged a little bit. Right. And will probably still be rearranged a little bit. In so what are you ways. referring to when you say it was changed a couple of years ago? Oh, the way that the high priests and elders were okay. organized. Right. And even then we we have the young men at age eleven. Now if it's the, eleven. You know, those 12, things right. change and right. when the church was first organized, they didn't even have the twelve, fourteen, sixteen exactly. age chunks. No, none of that. And things like that. So there are things that that have changed within the way the order and operations of the priesthood but the necessity and the implications of what the priesthood is and does hasn't changed. Yeah. So, again, I think part of this is a cultural thing, that we haven't yet come to understand what the priesthood is. So we've talked about them, as Elder Oaks said not to do, as the priesthood and the Relief Society, as, as if men equal priesthood. priesthood. Mm-hmm. And they're not the same. And that's I don't want to use the word damaging, but I think it doesn't it's do limiting. justice to it. Yeah, it's limiting. It's limiting. Yeah. And, and we have seen throughout the history of the world, it seems to me, that priesthood becomes more widely disseminated. It becomes broader in its scope. It changes over time, um, certainly from the time of the Mosaic dispensation, at least, the 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 purposes of priesthood, the, the ways priesthood have, has been used have changed dramatically. Yeah. Well, this is exciting. I love it. I love that we're having this conversation, but I also love that this book was put out by Deseret Book, who has been led by a woman for a number of years with Sister Dew. And thank you for writing this book. I think this is something that a lot of prospective sister missionaries need to know and missionaries need to understand in general so that we stop treating sister missionaries like second-class missionaries, Well, I I would also (laughs) say that one of the very first uh, opportunities I had when my husband was a a mission president and to go out with some of the missionaries, they called on me to say, we have a couple. The, The husband is an inactive member. The wife is investigating the church. They both have huge um, concerns about why women don't hold priesthood in the church. And it was one of the very first things I did as a missionary on my second mission to try to, to, try to explain what priesthood is to someone and to try to explain um, how, we, how we hold priesthood, how it functions in the church. 
So this was something that was uh, that the elders who asked me to help with this particular um, situation didn't really know how to deal with. And right. I, I think it's something that elders and sisters both um, need to understand well if they're going to respond to those yeah. kinds of questions. And by the way, that woman did end up joining the church. Awesome. Her husband returned to activity, and they were sealed in the temple a year later. Fantastic. So. Where were you mission presidents? Uh, we were in Montreal in oh, okay. Canada. Quebec. So you still got to use a little bit of the French? Yeah, a lot of the French. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but very cool. And And again, uh, we want to tell people to pick this up at Deseret Book, mm-hmm. deseretbook.com. We'll put a link that they can go purchase this book through a link on our website. Great. Um, but there's also this um, book that you mentioned from Elder Renland that might be a good companion book right? to kind of read side by side because I think that that one will help also add this apostolic voice, which we often feel that we need an apostle to tell us it's okay to think certain ways. Right. So maybe we get those two together. Who Sounds knows? Great. <laughs> But thank you again for coming on and talking about this. Thank you. We talk about the fundamental doctrine of the priesthood in other episodes of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast, but in this particular case, we present a very broad definition of what the priesthood is and how we all, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, can be connected to that priesthood power. It's really a wonderful thing, and I hope that you take the opportunity to pick up a copy of this book because there is so much that can be learned about something that maybe we think we already know a lot about, but maybe we don't know as much as we think we did. It's a great book, so check it out. There are links to buy the book on the podcast page for this episode. Thank you again for tuning in, and stay tuned to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast by being subscribed in iTunes, in Stitcher, or on Spotify. Thanks for listening.